Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Al Hicks, and I am a longtime member here. I think I've been a member here for 36 years. And I've been teaching Bible study also for about 31 years during that time. So I'm not a preacher, but I certainly am a, a teacher of the Word. I, you know, I, I also want to step back and also say just happy Mother's Day. You know, I, I want to personally acknowledge my wife. I want to acknowledge my mom, my mother-in-law, my daughter-in-law, and all you other mothers out there. You know, this is a very special thing that motherhood is, and we're just very grateful for this. I also want to have you understand that I've been very blessed, right? My mom and my mother-in-law were ardent believers in in our Lord Jesus Christ. They were imperfect people who were redeemed. They were unbelievably influential moms. And, you know, what a wonderful gift and a wonderful legacy that is for us. And we know, some of you know, too, that my mom passed away February 2nd, just a few months ago. You know, she gave us a great legacy. She taught the Bible for more than 54 years. And she was, you know, her funeral was one of hope. It was uplifting. It was joyful. And I think Billy Graham probably said it best when he said, the lost see a hopeless end, but the saved see, or see an endless hope. And that's what I hope for you guys today, too. I hope your mothers and mother-in-laws were like my mom and my mother-in-law is. But some of you aren't. So the question is, why don't you now start that legacy for your family? You getting saved, if you were not already saved, and then you having that endless hope that other Christians have. So I just think it's very important that we celebrate this time of mothers. And I just also want to follow up today on God's message of love. Last week, Chad talked in 1 Thessalonians about love. And I want to follow up on that subject of love. If you would, would you turn with me in your, in your Bibles to John chapter thir- 13. I'll say it again. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. I'll give you just a minute to, to reach that. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Now, also I need to remind you that if you're somewhat new as a Christian or new to the Bible... The John that I'm talking about is a gospel. It's part of the good news. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It is not the John or the first, second, or third John found way at the back of the Bible. So this is kind of about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And and verse 34 says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your... So I'm going to leave it at that right now. That seems very easy. It is not easy. It's very simple. But God's word oftentimes is simple. It often is not easy, though. So the question that we have to ask is, why is it that God has commanded us to love? Let's read on to verse 35. It says, For your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is our witness. Our witness is how well we love one another. You see, when we, when we love one another well, it proves to the world that we are 
God's disciples. And when we don't love each other the way that we should, it also gives a bad witness or a false witness. And people would often say, what do I need that for? I've got that in my own household. I don't need to go join an association or an assembly that doesn't love one another, that has infighting and bickering. We don't need that. You know, saying you love somebody isn't love. That's just words. Love, in the, this, in the, in, this word for love is a, an action word. It is a word that has um, duty to it. Okay, So when you understand that words can be hollow, we can say we love somebody, but if we don't show that we love somebody, our words are really hollow. Now turn with me, if you will, to Romans 12. Romans 12, verses 9 through 17. This is the instruction as to how it is that we are to love. Romans 12, verses 19 through 17. The Bible says, don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Stand on the side of good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Be glad for all God is planning for you. Be patient in trouble and always be prayerful. When God's children are in need, be the one to help them out. And get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. If people persecute you because you are a Christian, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. When others are happy, be happy with them. When they are sad, Share their sorrow. Live in harmony with each other. Don't try to act important, but enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. So this is how it is that we're to love. You know, and when we understand that God's given us instructions, and that's what the Word of God is. It's instructions as to how it is that we're to live. He gives us his instructions in many different things, and he gives us instructions in how it is that we are to love. You know, when we read what it is that we are to do, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 really sums it up well. It tells us what we're not to do. It replaces that with what we are to do, and then he tells us what's wrong in our lives, but then teaches us what is right. So he gives us this multidimensional way of looking at things. In this verse right here, he's teaching us how to love. And I know for me, when I read a definition of a word, sometimes I read the definition and I get it, and other times I read it and it's a little hazy to me. But I find that when it's a little hazy to me, it's really best for me to read and look up the antonym or the opposite of what that is, and then that gives me like the 360 vision. It tells me what it is, and it tells me what it's not. So in Romans 12, verses 9 through 7, what if we rephrase this and have this read as the opposite of what we're to do? In other words, what if, it, if we re- rewrote this and it told us what 
not to do. So I took the liberty to rewrite this in, in the way that we're not to do it. And by doing so, I think it will add some clarity. So if you want to follow along with me, and follow along so loosely with me as I go back to verse 9, and then I'm going to read it in a way that we're not supposed to do it. Verse 9 says, just pretend you love others. This is, again, to be very clear, this is the opposite of what the Bible says. Don't really love them. Take joy in doing what's wrong. Hold, hold tightly to do what is bad. <laughs> love each other with genu- genuine apathy. Take delight in dishonoring one another. Always be lazy and don't work at all at pleasing our Lord. Rejoice in hopelessness. Be fretful in trouble. And instead of praying, just think and worry. When God's people are in need, have an excuse ready why you cannot help them. Always be ready to practice selfishness. Curse those who curse you. Don't bless them. Praise that God would would curse them too. Be angry with those that are happy and ignore those who weep. Live in disharmony with one another. And finally, be too proud to enjoy enjoy the company of ordinary people. And act as if you know it all. On and on and on. I think you get the picture. Knowing what not to do is important, but knowing God's word is more important. Now, as we read this, we have to also understand something about the devil. God has told us what to do in, in, in the word of God in, in Romans chapter 12. But the devil doesn't necessarily delight in you doing the opposite of God's word. He just delights in you not doing God's word. In other words, he's very happy, very content. He can sit back and just say, way to go when we do nothing. Nothing. You see, we are by doing nothing, we are disobeying God. And we're ultimately following Satan. Even if we don't do the opposite of what God's called. You know, the devil is this conniver. He is this deceiver. Um, he wants you to be apathetic. He wants you, instead of really loving somebody, he would much rather have you uh, tolerate somebody. And you know, if you've ever been on the, on the receiving end of being tolerated and not loved, you certainly know the difference. I would tell you that other people around you know that when you're being tolerated, and not loved. Now, the devil can also, as I said, he's a conniver. He may fool you into thinking that you're actually loving somebody when in actuality all you're doing is tolerating them. These verses that we've read are for the church, for those that are saved. This is not how it is Um, This is not how we're supposed to act with other people outside the church. It's inside the church first, and then we take it out. So this, all of this instruction is how it is that we are to react and act with one another. Hmm. You know, one of the things the devil uses really, really well um, is busyness. We get busy, 
We start thinking we've got to do all these different things, and pretty soon we lose focus on the one thing that God's called us to do. His new commandment in John was to love one another. Pretty soon, though, we get busy and we lose, lose sight of that very first command, that great important command, and we start being busy and fooling ourselves that we're doing what it is that God's called us to do. That's just not how it is. God does not want us to do that way. God wants us to keep his commands on the forthright part of our mind so that we know what it says and then we can do what it says. You know, one of the other things we have to understand, this commandment that we are to love one another is not a corporate-wide, it is not a church-wide communication or command. It's an individual command for those inside the church. It's for each one of us personally. And so we know that God saved each one of us personally. He didn't save us corporately. In other words, because my mom is a Christian has no bearing on whether it is that I'm a Christian. He wants me to accept him as my personal Lord and Savior personally. It's individual. And this is the way that God works throughout the whole entire Bible. He works throughout the church. He's assembled us together, but he works on each one of us individually. And when we understand that, then we are held accountable to God by God. If we don't do it that way, pretty soon we're deluding ourselves into thinking that we are doing something that is good when, in fact, it might be evil. Let me give you an example. If God has called you to teach a class, a Bible study class, and you get scared and nervous about that and instead decide to read the Bible instead of teaching the Bible, it seems like what you're doing is good, but it is sin because you know what you ought to do. God's called you to teach, and yet you're not teaching. The examples go on and on and on. There's plenty of things that are good, but if they're going against what God's asked you to do, God's asked you individually to do, then it is sin. You know, let me give you a, an example of our busyness that goes on. And this example happened to Sally and I. <clears throat> but let me give you an example. Let me have you understand some history of Sally and I. When we first met, I was a uh, I actually met her my junior year, but we started dating right at the very beginning of my senior year. When I met her, I was totally enthralled. I was excited about seeing her. She was everything that I was not. She was my opposite, yet she was my completer. I really liked this girl. And you know, when you start dating somebody, and it's really good, it's really exciting, and you'll do like anything for that person. And it seems like as you go on over time, that this is just kind of our human nature, that we can start taking each other for, for granted. But Sally was this unbelievably exciting person to me. It was individual to me, right? Um, everything that she was was opposite of me, right? I was high-strung and a fast talker. She was evil and keeled and a listener. You know, she was a plotter. If she was a football coach, she'd go for those two or three-yard 
runs. If it were me, I'd be going for the bomb, for the Hail Mary. She stayed on the rails. She rarely got off the rails. I didn't even know there were rails. (laughs) She studied constantly, and I was a procrastinator and a crammer. You know, but as Sal and I started talking more and more and more, started enjoying each other's company more and more and more, I shared with her my dreams, my aspirations, my fears, and she did the same with me. You know, we could hardly sit, wait to see each other when we were apart, and when we were back together again, you know, uh, we truly enjoyed being with one another. I asked her to marry me right after I graduated, and she said yes. And I would tell you at that point right there, I knew that I won the lottery of lotteries, that I can't believe this girl whom God created was so special that somehow she would say yes to me. What I didn't necessarily know was she felt the same way about me. It isn't amazing how God can take two sinners and he can redeem them and make them into this wonderful couple. It's absolutely awesome. You know, we looked at each other's strengths and saw strengths, and we kind of overlooked each other's weaknesses. We loved and adored each other, and it was really exciting. So when we got married just a couple months after Sally graduated from college, the thought was, of course, how can this marriage not be anything but bliss? But let me be very clear about something today. Of all the things that have happened in my life, The number one thing is my belief that my Lord Jesus Christ, he saved me. He died on the cross and he rose again and he saved me. That's number one in my life. Number two is my wife, Sally. Number three is my kids. Number four is my work. Number five is recreation. And number six is volunteering. But I screw that up at times. You know, at any one time in our lives, we all get busy, and pretty soon, instead of doing the things that God's commanded us to do, we start doing these other things that are important, but they're out of order. So it got a little bit out of whack. I didn't see it. You know, I told Sally constantly that I loved her, and I really did. But at times, it felt hollow to her, and I didn't see it. I got lulled into busyness instead of what God wanted. Now, let me give you some perspective. At the time, we had, and we still have, four kids, but now our kids are grown adults. At this time, they were probably ranging in age four to, I don't know, 12, whatever the the age gap is between all four of them. And I had a desire when we started having kids, that I wanted to be the best dad I could be. I always wanted to be the dad that was there. I wanted to be the dad that was involved. And I wanted to be the dad that they talked to. So not only that, is our, we got our kids involved in sports, whether it was baseball or softball for my daughter, I coached. So I coached for a lot of years. And most summers, I coached two teams, two of the kids. Uh, one or two summers, I know I coached three teams. Three of my kids. They were never on the same team, so that we were always running around going in lots of different directions. Then the boys got involved kind of at the same time in hockey. So the three boys were 
in different age groups in hockey. So we were traveling around the United States going different places for six months out of the year. And during that six months, almost never was I ever in a hotel room with Sally. You see, we would travel. And so I would take one of the kids. Sally would take another kid. And then the other kid, the one that was left, and that changed all the time, we just sent them with a parent of one of the other players. And we had our daughter with us. So some weekends she'd come with me, we'd go someplace. Sometimes she'd go with Sally. It was all over the place. You know, it was unbelievably hectic. And then, on top of that, my daughter started playing volleyball. So it's another schedule we had to get in there and work with and do. You see, all that busyness, all that craziness was nutsos. It was also wonderful at the same time. You know, on top of all that extracurricular activity, Sally was a full-time, she was an overtime mom. Um, She ran things excellently. I don't even know how she did it. I couldn't have done it. She did it, and she did it well. She somehow, around all of our craziness, she also was able to make sure that we ate dinner together during the week. I don't even know how she did that. I don't know how she kept the house in order. I don't know how she kept schedules in place. I don't know how it is that she helped the kids with the homework. I don't know how she did it. At the same time, I owned a business. My business demanded time. My employees demanded time. And my clients certainly demanded time. And before you start browbeating me and saying, what the heck were you doing? Understand that I felt like I was doing the right thing. And during that time, I was also teaching two Bible studies, one here at church and one at my office. I was also on a couple committees here at church. I also was on a couple boards outside of church. I was busy and unfortunately, I was failing my wife. You know, this is how Satan works. He sneaks up on you, up on you and he bites you, and you didn't even see him coming. Not at all. So, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the movement that was the Promise Keepers movement. Um, it was a movement, I don't know how long ago, it was really cool. It was, really for, it was for men, and it was saying to take back the leadership responsibility that you have abdicated on, that you gave up on, right? It was saying that we need to uh, promise. We, took, we gave promises to our families. We are to keep those promises. I really like this, this um, movement. Now, I had not been to any of their assemblies, and for Christmas that year, but I was very, I loved their message. And Christmas that year, Sally got me a book, and the, book, the title of the book was Seven Promises of a Promise Keeper. And I was very grateful. Like I said, I really liked this movement that was going on. She gave that to me at Christmas, and I was very grateful. And then after the kids all went to bed, you know, we had a heap of, of uh, wrapping paper there. We finally got everything kind of all cleaned up. Sally and I were sitting on the couch. And she said to me, I gave you that book so you would start keeping your promises to me, she said. 
Oh, man. And, of course, well, I'm, my first initial response in my mind was, does she not understand I'm doing all this craziness, all this sacrifice for her, for us? And then she started to cry. You know, just a quiet cry. And she said, I know that you say your word is your bond. And then she said something that's very interesting. I know that's true for your clients, your employees, your Bible study classes, the teams that you're involved in, and certainly for the kids. But always, if there was an exception to be made, it was to be made with me, she said. She said, I know that you thought I would understand, and I did. And it's not intentional, but it's real. She said, I understand now that I am at the bottom of all of those things because of your, your word is not your bond to me. You know, this was the, the girl that I, I loved. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I thought, how could I hurt this, this, this woman that I love so much? How, how could I hurt her that way? You know, long story short, I, I prayed. I repented. And we have a forgiving God. We have a restoring God. And I certainly have a forgiving wife. She was more interested in restoring our relationship than to keep it going the way that it was. Now, I tell you this story because God's love, that command for us, is individual. It is not corporate. It's personal. But I also have to explain something else. My problem directly was not with Sally. I hurt Sally, but my problem was with God because I had disobeyed his commandments for me on how to love. And when we get things all out of order, they get all screwed up. Even though you can work at them really hard, as I was working at it hard, you get it all screwed up. You see, I decided to try to do it on my own. I didn't think I was doing it that way, but that's what I was doing. So I left God out of the picture, even though I talked and taught God. But I was leaving him out in this because there's all these things i got to do. i got to take care of this, 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 and this, and this. And then if I just take care of those, everything else will be out. Okay. But I gave the wrong priority to the wrong thing. I gave things that were of low priority, high priority. I didn't even realize it. When we, and you know what the Satan was doing at that time? He was just clapping and applauding because I was not doing the will of God and I wasn't really doing the opposite of God. I just had them all screwed up. God has called us to love one another. And I want to say it this way. I gave things priority that didn't deserve priority. And I'm willing to bet there's many of you right now that have given priority to things that aren't deserving of that priority. What is deserving of our priority is God first, then your spouse, and then your kids, and everything else after that. And we get that all screwed up. We get thinking that we've got work to do and we've got to sacrifice time with our kids. We think we've got work to do or things to do and we've got teams to coach, we've got boards to be on, and then we fail to love the one that we live with. 
This command is individual. It's to husbands and wives directly. And you know, you can't just start loving everybody all over the place. You would be, for sure, if you start trying to love everybody in this congregation, what's going to happen? Your family at home is going to know for sure that you are a hypocrite. Because you didn't love them first before them. We are, so where do we start with this love? We start in the home. Husbands, we got to love our wives better. We got to do it the way that God's commanded us to do. We got to love our kids better. We got to do it the way that God's told us to do, not the way that we somehow connived in our own mind that we should be doing it. We got to do it God's way. We got to put God first and then the love after that. We start putting our, our wives ahead of God, it gets all screwed up. The order is very important. It's God, then your spouse and kids and others. That's the order. If we try to do it any other way, we're going to make a mess. You see, when we start really getting real with our spouses and living real in our homes, we're not hypocrites in our homes, and then pretty soon out in this congregation we can start loving on the people next to us. Pretty soon we can start loving from front back, from right to left. It's unbelievable what we can do. But not if we're going to not do the very individual thing that God has called us to do is to love our spouses. It just doesn't work very well that way. You know, there's also, this is Mother's Day. And I would hope that us husbands and dads take this to heart. I would hope we would say we need to love better in the family that God's given us, the family that God blessed us with, and not put them above God, keep it in order. But we can also start in the home with kids. The Bible's also very clear. It says, kids or children, you are to honor your mother and father. It doesn't say dishonor. It doesn't say ignore. It doesn't say I'm not going to talk to you. It says to honor them. It doesn't have an age requirement or a limitation. My mother-in-law is still alive. We're to honor her. She doesn't live with us, but we're still supposed to honor her. And some of you might be thinking, how do I honor my mother when she wasn't very nice to me? Bible makes no, no, nothing about that. It doesn't allow that you not honor your mother and father because they weren't nice. It doesn't say that. It says your responsibility, your personal responsibility is to honor your mother and father. So what if our kids started honoring their mom and dads? Kids of all ages started honoring their mom and dads. What do you think the effect in the household would be when everybody started loving each other and honoring one, one another? Wouldn't that be a family you'd want to be with? Wouldn't that be a fun, joyous family to be with, even when there is trouble? 1 Peter 1, 21 and 22 says, Through Christ you have come to trust in God. And because God raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory, your faith and hope can be placed confidently in God. Now you can have sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters because you were cleansed from your sins and you were accepted. And, you, and when you accepted the truth of the good news, see to it that you love each other intensely with all of your hearts. Without God, I can't even love correctly. You can try. It just doesn't work. 
You know, we oftentimes take on responsibilities that God never asked us to take on. He's asked us to obey him, but sometimes we keep adding to that. He never asked us to add on to that. He asked us to obey him. In Joshua, it says, if you obey all the words and commands that I've given you, you will have success in everything that you do. That's family success. That's work success, right? That's, that's church success. And God is a keeper of his promises. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Wow. So here's the question. Have you forgiven your spouse? Have you forgiven your kids? Kids, have you forgiven your parents? You know, it's pretty hard to start loving somebody if you haven't forgiven them. I would tell you I am absolutely 100% blessed because one, God forgave me, my wife forgave me, my kids have forgiven me. It allows them to love me better and me to love them better. This love that Christ came first, remember he, it says that we love him because he first loved us. Because of his love, he allows us and helps us to love others. But we've got to have it in the right order. So how do we love each other? Let's start in the home. Let's start where it's really real, where people know what you are without your mask on in front of you. Let's start there. And if things are really good there, let's start going out from there. But let's not go out from there if we don't have home right, done right first. Let's get it right. Let's get right with, with God. Now, I'm going to pray. Then we're going to go into a special Mother's Day video. And then I will end that video with another prayer. So let's pray together now. Lord, we are unbelievably grateful for your love. We're grateful, Lord, that you loved us when we were still sinners. Lord, you saved us when we were still sinners. Lord, thank you for all the blessings that you give for us. We sometimes don't even know what those blessings are. And Lord, help us understand what those blessings are. Help us to love you more. Help us to love us, you in ways that we couldn't love you just on our own. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the Holy Spirit as he prompts us and moves us and corrects us. Lord, your love is phenomenal for us. We can't even understand it. We can't even define it. But we certainly know it, Lord. And Lord, I also pray that you help us love one another. Help us to love our spouses better. Help us to love our kids better. And Lord, help us to love our mothers better. Lord, you are the the God of all gods. The Lord of all lords. You are the one, Lord. We love you. Lord, we're grateful for how it is that you put this desire in a mother's heart. Lord, I can't explain it and I certainly can't replicate it. But Lord, we are so entirely grateful for our moms and our our wives. Lord, you know that we're a half a person without them. We're incomplete. You've had them come alongside to be our workmate. Lord, thank you for who it is that you are. Thank you, Lord, for having a spouse and a mother for each one of us. Lord, we're just, awe, we're just in awe of you. Lord, I pray today as we go from here now that we also then remember our wives and our mothers, Lord. Lord, thank you for all that you do, and we're just so thankful for them too. In your name we pray. Amen.